listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Day 77 and 78 on our slow and steady and beautiful trek through the Bible Mm. in a year. It's great. I love being able to... um, restore and bring back kind of an oral tradition that's what we're doing here yep is that uh, historically people would hear the bible from one another they'd Mm -hmm. hear it from people who uh, knew it we know it so we're talking about it we don't know everything but we're at least identifying with the story yes and every time we read it it gets better and better because that's kind of the nature of the word of god (laughs) it just is a life-giving source from god so where are we today matt all right our old testament reading for today is Numbers, chapter 7 through chapter 9, verse 14. Numbers, the book that keeps on giving, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Am I right? It's so good. Uh, Today I was tempted to zone out, because chapter 7 is uh, offerings at the tabernacle's consecration. I know. And so it's a repeat, it's just a repeat of what they offer. Yes. But once I realized, after a couple of paragraphs in, it's essentially every tribe is bringing the exact same offering, Correct. like silver plates and basins and golden dishes and two bowls and, I don't know, whatever, three rams, three goats, mm-hmm. three lambs. Like, they're doing all the same thing. They're mm-hmm. all equal. It's all very organized, and they're bringing it to set apart the altar, right? Right. And the tabernacle. Yeah, and provide the things that the Levites are going to need to care for it. Um, which I realized because I was like, yeah. they bring wagons. I know. And they were saying that they gave a certain amount of wagons to different clans of the Levites. Right. And I was like, wait, what's going on? Why are they doing that? But I realized the the two clans, the Gersh, the Gershonites and the Sons of Merari, yeah. they're carrying the like, like the fence post, like the posts and like the structures that the tabernacle is set up for. So they actually need wagons to right. load it up on. And like when they move, I was like, "Oh, that's really thoughtful." The Kothite, well, how do you say that? And then the Kothites, they actually have to hand carry the articles within the tabernacle, so they don't get wagons. Right. At first, I was like really sensitive, like, "Why don't they get wagons?" And then I realized they're holding the most holy things that have been wrapped up by Aaron and Moses and on poles, and they're on poles, and you carry that. Right. You do not put it on wagons. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then it's all evil. It's all e evil. It's all equal. Evil. That's what I meant. It's not evil at all. It's all equal. All right, shut it down. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the dedication is this amazing offering uh, yeah. to the Lord, but also for the setting apart of the Levites. Mm-hmm. And then God speaks from above. Did you catch that in chapter 8? He speaks from above the mercy seat oh, on at the, the Ark of the Testament. End, end between, of chapter 7, yes. Yeah. Oh, it's the end. Yeah, you're right. Between the two cherubim. Like, that is amazing. Yeah, this is where God speaks to Moses now. And and he says, again, God has like a pattern of things and the spiritual reality. He says, here, I'm going to give you the pattern, which Mm -hmm. is what he did uh, on Mount Sinai. Like, this is a earthly kind of shadow of the spiritual reality. So there's definite way to do it. Mm -hmm. And this has to do with the lampstand, right? Yeah, so then we get into God tells him, how to specifically set up the lampstand. And again, the lampstand is in the the holy place, not the holy of holies. It's before okay. the veil. And it's 
shining its light in the holy place where the priests would do most of their work. And it's also shining it directly on across from it is the bread of presence. And mm. and that's where the and it's shining the light on the bread of God. Like I don't know. It's pretty great. Bread I mean of can- life. Candles always symbolize God's presence among us mm-hmm. through his word and sacrament. And it's so it, it always reminds me of Jesus. Yeah. The audaciousness of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Right. I am the seven lamp stands that give light to the holy a holy place with the bread of presence. Mm-hmm. I am the bread of life. I wonder, we need to go through all the I am statements. I think Luke has most of them. And they, and, pro- and they correlate with items within the I, temple and it, tabernacle. Yeah, it's like I am all the holy, holy things, things in the most yeah. holy place. Yeah. Very cool. And then <laughs> and then, then all the allusions to light and darkness, like mm-hmm. I'm the light of them I mean, over yeah. and over again in the New Testament through the words of Jesus. But it gets even more Jesus-y, I, I thought, oh, in man. verse 10, where it says, now you're setting apart the Levites and all the people, they bring all these gifts, but they lay their hands on the Levites. I know. So people so put their good. sin... They put their sin on the priests, and the priests put their that sin on the offering animals, the animals for. Well, so this is what I was connecting with to make doing. atonement, right? Yeah, because it it's again it's setting up. This is like the actual reality. God said, uh, the Levites are going to be the. I'm going to redeem yeah. them. They're going to be the firstborn sons, so you don't have to give your firstborn sons up. Thank God. And so what I'm realizing is they're laying the people of Israel are laying their hands and they're transferring what should be their firstborn sons yes. and the sins of their firstborn sons and the lives of their firstborn sons onto the Levites. Their firstborn sons should be offered up for the good of God's nation yeah. to the God who saved your firstborn sons. Right. You owe it. Yeah, and so now they're offering, by laying on hands on the Levites, they're offering yeah. up that to God. They're transferring that onto the Levites. The Levites carry that, place their hands on bulls, and then they kill the bulls and the sin and everything that God requires from them is now transferred to, transferred the, animal. to the animal and it's killed and but even it's set apart. The I'm, demand for the the life of the firstborn yeah. is transferred to that animal. Yes. So you're free yes. from that obligation mm-hmm. uh, and they make atonement. It's atoned for. But then I was thinking about like, it also seems that Levites, they're, they're a gift to Aaron, but... The way it's worded, it's like Levites protect the people from God. Like all the other oh tribes, they protect yes. the people. They protect God and God's people from outsiders. But the Levites protect the people of God from God. Because if you approach this stuff wrong, plagues will break out. Like mm-hmm. our God is a consuming fire. You have to handle the glory of God with great care. Yeah. And so the Levites are the ones assigned, set apart to be in this army for God but God's saying, but I have them to as a fence around me, like to mm-hmm. protect me from having to purify you. Yeah. Because if you get too close, you'll be so purified, you'll be dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's just an interesting way to look at it. And so, you know, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about the whole Roman Catholic. You know, you read these things in the Roman Catholic priest system. Mm-hmm. For us, in our context, it's like, why do you need to go to a priest? Mm-hmm. Just go to Jesus. Go to God. Right. But when you read the Old Testament, you realize there is a very orderly, specific intermediary, like inter- intermediate person, a priest, who you transfer your sin to. They then go and know how to handle the things of God before God. 
on your behalf. So it's not like a crazy idea no, that it, people it, would have a priest to confess their sin. But that's the revolution of the Reformation was uh, like reading through Hebrews where Jesus then becomes, like he does the same thing. He's protecting us from God, right? right. Like he becomes the Levite. So the firstborn that God took from the, like said, the Levites are like my firstborn. Now God says, I'm actually giving you my firstborn. So the firstborn Levite ministry, yeah. the Levite ministry is no longer necessary because the temple has been destroyed and raised up because Jesus' body is the temple. Mm-hmm. He now, we transfer our sin to him. He sheds his blood once and for all. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to transfer it to a goat, a ram, or a bull. Mm-hmm. He actually absorbs it, walked through it, and so that we can boldly approach the throne of God in the name of Jesus Christ. But as the author of Hebrews says, do it with reverence and awe mm-hmm. because our God is a consuming fire. Yeah. And so it's just really, for me, working through like, you, you don't want to approach God the wrong way, but we get to let, just like he was telling them, lay it on God's assigned firstborn. Levites were assigned. Now Jesus is God's assigned. He is his firstborn. Mm-hmm. And so this is where the idea of priesthood of all believers comes in now, where we all can go before the throne of God. But to see it like embedded in numbers to this degree, I've never really noticed. Yeah. Because I get hung up on the 12 passages that say the exact same thing because <laughs> they just keep repeating over and over again. Mm-hmm. But it's, you realize it's every tribe is equally represented. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that, so that's my deal there. So. It, it is really cool to see that they were set apart. They're... They're given to Aaron as a gift. Um, oh, and there's limits. Like he sets up the first the, retirement, the plan. retirement plan for them. Yeah, and it's very, very gracious. It's twenty five to fifty. Like right at the at fifty, like you're good, man. You don't have to carry. You don't have to worry about carrying the poles anymore, right. loading them up on the cart. You still get to sit around the tabernacle and make sure people are doing. The necessary you, rules. You and protect and guard. Yeah, so the like idea... You, you're a seasoned veteran and you understand the rules and you can give advice, and but you're not going to work. Right. Like so you at, get to rest. At age 50, God's like, look, you're, you're just not going to have the, the body... We don't want you to bear this burden of lifting and moving and doing all that. Yeah. So We're not going to wear you out. It's just really smart, yeah. And then you're allowed to have influence and train up the guys under you. So you have like 25 years of I love that man. Working it. Like I only have 6 more years left before I get to retire from moving the tabernacle. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know we're under a new covenant, so I guess darn it. I learned all this stuff too late. And then uh we have chapter 9. Yeah. Where, Interesting. We're working this out. Yeah. Where Moses? the where the first Passover in the desert is like held? Yeah. And it's really cool because they have an, an immediate conflict. And they're like, the there's these men that approach Moses going, hey, we had to bury some people the other day. So Which was really sad and difficult. And so we're technically ceremonially unclean, and, and the priests aren't letting us in to celebrate Passover. But if we can't celebrate Passover, by law, we're cut off from the community forever. Right. What's the deal? Like, we want to be part of this. Yes. And so Moses' response is so great. It's I just love how you're trying to do something good. Yeah. I'm trying to follow the Lord, but then this happened. Yeah. It's like, right, God knows. Mm-hmm. And so the rest of the story goes. Yeah, so Moses goes, hold on, 
Let me check in with the Lord. I love it. Like, yeah, he's just like, he's like, let me ask the boss. Uh, and I love that, that he has that relationship with God. He spoke to Moses as a friend. I know. Like, God, and, what do I do here? You set this up. We're trying our best. I already got people complaining. And it's true. Like, and it's kind have, of true. They're kind of. And it's tough. They buried someone they knew, man. Yeah. And so. I mean, God. Yeah. And so God is super gracious and says, this will be a statute forever. Yeah. And if anyone is ceremonially unclean from just doing normal it's stuff. It's a funny word, isn't it? I know. Ceremonially. Uh, yeah. Or if they're like on a, on a, tra- like a journey and they can't get back in time, they, they, you will have a second celebration for those people next month. It's pretty cool. God just makes provision. Yeah. He says, look, we'll do it the month, the second month on this day at this time, for giving all- you an opportunity for all those who are unclean. So don't worry. We'll have a, another test date for you. We'll have yeah. another day of celebration because you don't want to miss out on the celebration. No, and that's the other thing is it is like a big feast and yeah. celebration and you want to be a part of it that. It reminds me when I was in fifth grade, we had all these fireworks. Mm-hmm. We were so excited for 4th of July and I got the chicken pox. Oh. And so I was in my room hearing all the fireworks, that all this stuff, and I was so miserable. I was unclean, man. You were. But they promised me that I would get some more fireworks later, which never happened. <laughs> Because I guess the Lord didn't lead them to set up a provisional day for the celebration of the 4th of July. But uh, you actually missed it. Um, But in the word of God, he's like, look, if you choose to miss that second one, then you're making a choice. Yeah. And if you're you're unclean again, then you didn't care enough. Like, you got to tell everybody, hey, I can't handle the dead. Mm -hmm. I can't handle this because I am not missing Passover. Right. And then other people are like, well, we celebrated. We can get dirty. And that's the importance, too, of community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you, Lord. So good. Book of Numbers. That's that concludes today's reading of Numbers. Of Numbers. I'm not unclean. <laughs> All right. Let's do a little uh, New Testament reading. Mm. Our New Testament reading is Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 52. If you've been reading, it's I think it's wonderful how everything kind of aligns like a puzzle piece almost. So you go from tabernacle and the creation of this, and you know it's going to lead into a permanent temple. Mm-hmm. And then you're reading the New Testament, and the temple and all these things that were established in the wilderness are still firmly believed. Somehow yeah. they've made it through all the ups and downs, <laughs> no. the epic saga of God's ark and temple and all these things. Somehow the Messiah, which... Uh, mm-hmm. or uh, they say Christ. Christ means Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. When the anointed one comes, you still have temple. You still have these these things going on. Purification yeah. of um, ritual, kind of setting apart of the firstborn son. All these things are still happening. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. So in Luke 2, we have Jesus being presented at the temple because isn't that, is that where we start? Or we're still, oh, Yeah. Of course he's going to be presented at the temple Mm -hmm. because it's still the focal point of where God is meeting people. Yes. Even though he's been kind of quiet up until Zechariah and John. Um, And and what we learn about Jesus is, what I learned anyway, is his parents are probably kind of poor. Yes. (laughs) They bring the least of of all the things you could bring for this rite of purification for a baby, setting apart the baby on the eighth day, right? Mm -hmm. They bring the least thing, the smallest offering, a pair of turtle doves 
or two young pigeons. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are they are submitting to God in the way, and that's also important that when Jesus shows up, it's very very uh, Jewish. It's yeah. Israel. I mean, and that is the heart of their. They're still kind of camped around facing the temple and the presence, and the places God sets up. So they go there, and then they meet uh, two kind of faithful people, two interesting people. Yeah, so the first one they meet is uh, a man named Simeon. And the descriptor for this man is he was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So here we go, Luke. Luke loves to talk about the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Mostly because he's also writing Acts, and he sees what happens after the ch- after Pentecost, after the mm-hmm. church really begins. So he's writing this, recognizing, which is what we often do in our lives. We recognize mo- moments and movements of where that was the Holy Spirit. And so this guy's full of the Holy Spirit, and he says kind of a, I think, a remarkable phrase you don't use very often in your life. Which you know what is? I'm talking about? Uh, Lord, now you... Yo, you're letting your servant depart in peace? Yeah, like, I can die now. I can die now. You let me... I can die now. I saw the thing. I saw the the thing, which was the Son of God come to earth. It is cool to... Like, it says that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's a really specific and intimate thing to tell someone. <laughs> and then... He's, he comes into the, and he came in the spirit into the temple. So he's full of the Holy Spirit, and then he sees Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. I know. And it's like, just and, another poor couple dedicating their child to right. the temple. Nothing and, special about them. No. They're just doing the thing that you got to do. And then another poor prophet guy who's just hanging around the temple praying, and everyone probably thinks he's crazy. Right. And then he sings a beautiful song. Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light, here we go, the lamps, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So, I mean, he is like so deep into prophecy right now. He sees the baby Jesus. Mm-hmm. That Talk about faith. I know. And just says, this kid is going to be a light to the whole world. All the nations will be mm-hmm. a light and it'll be our glory. Like the greatest soccer player is coming from our hometown. Yeah. Praise God. <laughs> but he hasn't even, he can't even walk yet. Yeah. And that's the uh, prophecy. And then so Mary and Joseph marvel, and then he blesses them, and he says another amazing thing to Mary. Like, this guy is yeah. so full of, like, the Holy Spirit is moving, prophecy is flowing, and he says something really true. This child is for appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And we get this now because we're seeing this throughout the scriptures, that Jesus is a source of judgment or salvation. Mm-hmm. It just depends. Like, the fall is going to fall. You're going to fall because of him, or you're going to be resurrected because of him. Yeah. It's one or the other, and it's going to break your heart, Mary. Yes. I, it's that's gonna reveal so you. fascinating right. that he's already, like, it's also, because, like, it's generally about Jesus, but then he has, like, a specific moment for Mary and says, this is going to be hard. And it pier- for it's going to pierce your soul, Mary. For you, this is going to be hard. You're going to see your child judged and resurrected. You're going to see people feel judged by him and mm-hmm. saved by him. It's mm-hmm. going to be very confusing. Which It's interesting if you think about yourself. You want everyone to like you and understand you. Yeah. But 
no matter how hard you try, there are things you do that will just bring judgment on people mm-hmm. because they disagree or you do it different or you're, you're making a judgment. By saying, I like this, you're saying, I don't like this. And so we're always, I think, bringing judgment or salvation to people in the sense that they like what we're doing or they don't. And uh, Jesus is doing this on an epic scale. But it's noticed from the very beginning by faith, by a faithful and righteous man, full of the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, it's not just men. I know. From the very beginning, there's a faithful woman that hangs around the temple for at least 60, 70 years. She was married 84 years ago or something. Oh, she's 80. No, she is 84, I think. Um... She, and then as a widow, yeah, she was widowed. It just says she was married she, to her oh, husband she, seven she years. Oh, seven years. Like short marriage. And then she, her husband died, and she dedicated herself to the temple. Right. And so she's given the title in here, prophetess, uh, which is cool. Also, she's from the tribe of Asher. I know, they dropped that. Which is crazy. I think they dropped that because most of the northern people from the northern tribes of Israel at this point were uh, Samaritans, and you were unable to tell... Who They're mixed, yeah. Who really, if they were really from the tribe they said they were from. And it, it's difficult to tell because the only really distinct tribes at this point is Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. Do you think Simeon and Anna represent north and south? Yeah, probably. To say, hey, like, whatever little remnant. Now, yeah. the remnant of the north, which was so wicked, is a widow, a faithful widow. Oh, man. Because Dude. they divorced God. God yeah. divorced them. And so the faithful widow... Uh, recognizes the coming Savior. It's a good little connection there. I, know, I like I, that. I wonder. And, and she's fasting, praying, worshiping night and day, and then she begins to thank God and speak uh, to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Yeah. So she basically blesses this child. You got Simeon who blesses this child. It's all, it's all happening. I know. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about? Mm, no. no. That was good. Let's and then you get to the return to Nazareth. And Luke is the only one to talk about Jesus as a kind of a child. Mm-hmm. And he just says, he, the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. He, he'll have one more at the end of our reading today where he, he mentions again kind of the favor of God that was on Jesus the boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a boy, here's the only story we have. I know. They are doing the thing that we just talked about you're supposed to do in numbers. They were going to Passover. Yeah. So their little village all goes together in a kind of a horde of people for safety reasons. It's also just accommodations. It's easier when you have more people. And it's a party. It's a party. You're going... Like it's a vacation. Yeah. Like you go, you're going on a road trip. You're, you're like having meals and talking and laughing and having like a, a fun time. And really, you have the divinity, the divine unit, uh, the divine nature of Christ, and His human nature, even as a child, get hard for people to understand. Yes, because they go up to the temple. Apparently, Jesus is hanging out with the rabbis. Yeah, because the way it worked is the rabbis sit around, ask questions, they talk about theological things all day, and a young boy is allowed to sit in and he starts asking questions and they're marveling at his kind of wisdom and his questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the parents leave, it's over, and they walk for three days. They walk away for, probably for a day, day and a half. Yeah, a day. Because yeah. it's a big group figure. Uh, Jesus is hanging out with the other kids or mm-hmm. with the cousin. Who knows? And they realize, where is Jesus? Mm-hmm. 
And it just, this time around, they looked for him for three days. Yeah. Which I don't think is like a, a funny coincidence. No. Three days, Jesus is gone. And where is he? He's in the temple. And I- <laughs> of course he's in the temple. And then they say, what have you done? Like, they start to get mad at him. And little 12-year-old Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Like, he already no, like, it's, I, I can't, my mind is blown. <laughs> Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And it's like, they didn't understand it. Mary treasured this in her heart, right? Yes. But they didn't really understand. So what did they think? Did they think he was being a smart aleck? Yeah, probably. Like, Joseph, you're not my real dad. Yeah. Like, could they even accuse him of being like a snarky 12-year-old? Probably. That's hard to believe, Matt. I can't believe you said that. I'm just kidding. You didn't. I mean, they could. They yeah. So they're like you're confused. Like you're trying to be parents. You're trying to like he scared you, and that's seems like kind of disrespectful. Like why don't you just tell me where you were going? It's okay that you went there, but you could have just told me that that's where you were. And I don't know what you're talking about with this father thing. Stop it. Or did they remember Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) The throng of angels. Well, it does. I I also like this idea that Jesus was submissive to them. Mm -hmm. So he's, of course he's in his father's house, but he's also submissive to his parents. He makes a choice. Like he's going to make a choice to give up his life. Yeah. At the end, he makes a choice to honor his mother and father. Yeah. And he goes with them. And then again, Luke says, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Um, I guess that was kind of at the end of it, like the idea of wisdom and stature and favor... And how um, these things come from like the simplest of people or people who are just kind of faithful. Mm-hmm. They're not powerful. They're not great by the world standards. But God's always adding his word, his, his breath, his Holy Spirit to make ordinary things extraordinary. Yeah. So like a simple story about your son running off is actually extraordinary because mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is already working things. And you and I were talking earlier. I started to imagine... We're in the imagination zone now. Okay. So let's cross into that building. Okay, we're there. So in the imagination room, I was thinking, what was Jesus talking about with these rabbis? Oh, yeah. And so my thought was, I wonder if he was asking about like, how is it that David could eat the bread of presence in the Old Testament? And they're probably saying, well, David was special, or who knows how they were answering Mm -hmm. Or asking about questions about the Sabbath. Or asking questions. So my imagination here is when Jesus comes back as a 30-year-old, these guys have to remember little Doogie Hauser. It's an 80s reference to a really smart teenager. Like this kid was wicked smart back in the day. And I wonder if they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath and then he brings back maybe things that they taught him. Yeah. But with claims of he is greater than David. Yes. And so not only are they mad that he's claiming divinity, but they're also mad like, you punk, we taught you that. Yeah, he's flipping. Cause he I probably wonder. is asking them questions about what what is it said about the Messiah in the scriptures. Right. And what the, do you say about the Messiah? Who's he going to look like? What's he going to do? What's he going to be like? And I wonder if the answers they gave him as a kid, he's bringing back and saying, yeah, it's true. I'm he. Yeah. And they're like, you aren't him. I am greater than the Sabbath. Someone had to remember him as a kid. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, totally. In a town, it's not like our, our cities now where... But even then, if I had an interaction with a 12-year-old that was right. memorable and he was like asking really smart, I'm like, that kid was smart. Whatever happened to him? Yeah. Oh, he's leading the, uh, the movement now to dethrone you. Yeah. Oh, 
Huh. Okay. Well, should have been. I should have. You know what they're thinking? They should have killed him when he was a kid, because that's what <laughs> nations and people do. That's what you do. Uh, but yeah. at the end of it, I I just think um, Luke's. You know, you think about Mark and Matthew and Luke, and Luke already is about man. Things are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're making uh, ordinary things extraordinary. And that's what's happening to us. We're being filled with the Holy Spirit every day. We turn to Him. Awesome. Thanks, Lord. That concludes the uh, New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. What do we got in Psalms today? So our reading in Psalm was part of Psalm 35, uh, verse 1 through 18, which I will read an excerpt of. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise up for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me, without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it, and let the net that he hid ensnare him, and let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. been fed by ravens go in peace serve the lord we'll talk to you next time